When one reads through the history of the life of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels, uh, it becomes very clear very quickly that Jesus has a tendency of attracting very interesting people. Uh, The non-religious people loved Jesus. Those who had been ostracized by society followed him. The ones whom polite society deemed unworthy and impolite found him irresistible. And those who weren't sure what they believed about God or what they thought about God actually found the teachings of Jesus about God to be quite compelling. The gospel writer describes this group of people that I am describing to you right now with the words tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors in, uh, in that day were seen as traitors by the people of Israel because they had essentially taken a job with Rome, the occupying country, to basically skim a little money off the top from their fellow countrymen. They were seen as uh, traitors, basically, bad guys. And then, of course, sinners, in case you don't know what that means, let's just say rule breakers, people that hadn't lived the way that the religious elite deemed they should live. They did not go to Jesus, these people, because mom forced them to go. They did not go to Jesus because they thought it might be good for societal advancement if they were seen with him. They went to Jesus because they wanted to hear what he had to say and receive what he had to give. On the other hand, the same verse in Luke that I just read from says that, or the very next verse, I should say, says that the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, the really elite folks, uh, weren't so happy about Jesus' attracting all of these kinds of people. And so it says that they were grumbling that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, the bad people. Jesus, you should know if you're really divine and such that you're not supposed to eat with people like that. They might think you're endorsing their behavior. You have to smack them down first before you hang out with them. You got to let them know. You got to let them know their problems. And so they didn't like it when Jesus would go over to a tax collector's home and have some din with him. He didn't, they didn't find that to be too suitable. And it's in response to this grumbling that Jesus tells our two little parables tonight about the lost sheep and the lost coin. Essentially, both of them are making the same point. But what we find out as we read through these parables is we sort of get Jesus' answer to why it was that these tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. Why would these people want to be around Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh? And the first thing we see that's pretty clear from the parable, it's, it's because he sought them out. Whereas the religious establishment pushed them away. He sought them out. You know, the scholar William Barclay, a scholar of ancient Israel uh, and Jewish practice at the time, uh, tells us that the Pharisees gave to the people around them that were not obedient law keepers, as they saw fit, a title. They called them the people of the land. 
the people of the land. That was actually a nice term for what those people could sometimes be called. And there was all sorts of rules for this Pharisees, for these this religious elite, for what they could and couldn't do with these people of the land. They couldn't eat with them. They couldn't have them into their house. They couldn't do business with them. They couldn't, uh, there, there's even a command, do not let them take guardianship of an orphan. And you can't trust them with charitable funds, can't trust them with money. All these rules about the outsider that they weren't good enough to be in the presence of the religious establishment. All these barriers to keep them separated. Unfortunately, this mindset doesn't go away, and far too often the church of Jesus Christ throughout history has taken up the mantle of the Pharisees. It has built far too many walls between itself and the messy world out there, justifying it with all sorts of arguments and all sorts of rationalizations. But here's the deal. (laughs) Jesus, when he was here in the flesh, did the exact opposite. He represents himself as the shepherd that goes running after the one wandering lost sheep and leaves the other 99 behind that is so recklessly irresponsible. Why would he do that? He represents himself in this story or he pictures a a woman who has lost a coin and just frantically looks for this coin. Why does he want you to see him that way? Well, I I think there's two reasons. I think number one, it's important that we note that he does want you as a human being, a humanity to see that indeed we are lost. By ourselves, in and of our nature, We are lost. We are wandering. It is something that we were born with. We can't help it. We can't fight it in and of our own strength. We can't beat it. We are lost. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't give any sort of politically correct speak. He doesn't say, well, you know, uh, sometimes we all make mistakes. No one's perfect. No, he says, you really are lost. You're like a sheep that's way out, way far away. So we need to acknowledge that, that we in and of ourselves don't have a clue where we're going. But then we also need to acknowledge that in spite of our rebellious lostness that causes us to run away from the safety of the fold, that that we are extraordinarily valuable to him. You are extraordinarily valuable to the Lord of heaven and earth. So he has dinner with you and he invites you to his meals with his disciples. He fellowships with sinners. You know, Walker Percy, famous writer, once said, we love those who know the worst of us and don't turn their face away. That's about as true as it gets. We love those who know the worst of us. I mean, who can see our cry face, you know? Like, you know what I'm, like, ugly cry face. And not turn away? Love you still in spite of that? That's Jesus. That is Jesus Christ. 
In spite of what you may have heard or what you may have been given the perception of all throughout your life, that is Jesus Christ. He says his mission when he came here was to seek the lost. And he sees the lost and he doesn't blink at the sight of their lostness. But there's a second reason that we see sinners attracted to Jesus. It isn't just because he sought them out. Uh, but it's also because he does more than that. He doesn't just seek, but he saves and he, he rescues. He brings us, he brings them back into the fold. And yet Jesus, when he finds that sheep, doesn't scold him. I find that interesting in the parable that the shepherd, when he finds the sheep, doesn't start smacking them around, doesn't get angry with the sheep, doesn't yell at the sheep, but simply grabs the sheep in spite of the sheep being at fault, puts him on his shoulders and takes him home. He just rejoices that his sheep has been found and then gives it grace. If you read stories in the Atlantic or the New Yorker at all, which I tend to do from time to time, they often have sections of their magazines that talk about the challenges that are uh, country or the West, Western civilization face, and they try and, as best they can, sort of diagnose it. And, and what you'll find an awful lot of the time is, is discussion right now about our society's rootlessness. That there, there is a sense in which uh, people do feel very much lost that they're not sure anymore what the purpose of life on earth is. I've met quite a few people when I ask that question, what is the purpose of life, don't have an answer. We find that out especially about ourselves, that we're more rootless than we realized, that we're more lost than we realized. When something that we thought would give us meaning, give us purpose, give us significance, doesn't end up working out the way we thought it would. For example, here in the city, I can't tell you how many people I meet that moved here from somewhere else, frankly, to make money, to make lots of money. They wanted to get wealthy. That was the goal. And you know what happens? They get wealthy. They have everything they hope they get financially. And they still don't feel like they found their purpose or that they have significance. Same thing with career success. You can have all the career success you want. You could accomplish your most wild dreams, and yet it still will not bring the contentment that we all long for. Go on down the line. Anything in this world that you look to to give you satisfaction, to give you meaning, to give you a sense of being found in this lost world won't do it. C.S. Lewis's old dictum is true. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Nevertheless, in spite of that being the reality that we're all sort of in this place where we're feeling more and more rootless, Jesus comes, picks us up, carries us, carries our sins by his cross because... That's what he came to do. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to bring grace. 
I read a story a while back about a guy named Rod Rosenblatt. He's a professor in California at a, a, a fairly well-known university. Uh, he tells this story about the time when he was a young teenager, early uh, teens. He took his dad's car out on a joyride with some of his friends. Uh, but the only thing was about that joyride is he had gotten completely loaded. He was, he was completely wasted. He was drunk. And, uh, and of course, uh, something awful happened as he was drunk driving with his friends. He got into a wreck and totaled his father's car. And you, it, now, by God's grace, no one was injured in the car accident, but the car was completely totaled. You can imagine, though, Rod, as a young teenage boy, feeling absolutely terrified to call his father. I totaled your car. He does. Dad, I totaled your car. Dad says, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Dad, I was, I was drunk. Dad says nothing, hangs up phone, goes to the scene of the accident. Rod is feeling at the complete tip of shame and guilt. He knows that he has done something so wrong. By the time his father picks him up, takes him home, he goes into his father's study immediately and just breaks down and sobs, weeps and weeps and weeps. And after quite a long time of this, he finally runs out of tears and his father comes to him. And the first question his father asks him, Hey, Ron, how about we go and get you a new car tomorrow? Does that scandalize you? Shouldn't he have punished his, his son? That's grace. Jesus comes to us after we've wrecked a lot more than a car. And he gives us grace. He gives grace to sinners. And so, yeah, I want to eat dinner with you, Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus rejoices over sinners because, because he loves them. He doesn't, see, here's, we can talk about love in such an abstract way that we sort of drain it of its meaning or it becomes this mystical thing up in the clouds that we sort of reach for. But, but here's it. Jesus doesn't just love you. He likes you. Like he, he rejoices over you. Bring it down. Do you believe that? God rejoices over, not you abstract. I'm not talking you in some other, I'm talking you sitting in the pew right now. God rejoices over you. You know how many times that word is used in this text? Shepherd finds a sheep, rejoices, and then he calls his friend, rejoice with me. And then afterwards, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. I mean, over and over and over again, this is maybe the key word in the text, joy. And it's the one who finds the lost sheep, the lost coin, who is overwhelmed with joy at having his possession back. That is how Jesus feels about you. He rejoices over you. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says that he sings over you. Can you believe that? I'm not asking that rhetorically. Can you? Can you? 
And yet even as Jesus is telling this almost too wonderful to believe truth about God, he is also saying to the religious leaders that are grumbling at him, why haven't you let them know? Why haven't you let them know that that's what I want for them, that that's how I want to have them, I want to rejoice over them? Why haven't you let them know? I heard a story a little while back in a book by Philip Yancey, a woman who had been a prostitute, was, uh, was really in wretched straits. She had a little girl that was uh, with her, couldn't do anything with the little girl, and so uh, awful things were happening. Uh, she had a drug habit that she couldn't kick, and she was just in a total mess, and she went to this counselor to get some advice, and the counselor didn't really know what to say. The counselor's, counselor's a mandated reporter, what do I do? And finally, the counselor, just sort of in desperation, says, have you thought about going to a church, maybe? And the counselor says, I, I'll never forget the look of pure, naive shock on her face. And she said, church? Why would I want to go there? I already feel terrible. They just make me feel worse. There's an awful lot of people out in the world that feel like that. Before they walk into these doors, they're afraid that we're here to do one thing, and that's to remind them of all their faults and to hammer them. We're here to hammer them. And here's Jesus again saying, no, mm -mm, no, I'm just going to go run after the lost sheep. You, you hammer away, and I'll let you to that while I keep going out and seeking people that need me. How I want, how I so want to, listen, if there's anything that Epiphany Lutheran Church is about and is going to be about, it's going to be about, and I promise you, I will do everything in my power to not ever let this change. It will be about going to people out there in that kind of situation that feel that the church is a place that will hurt them and saying to them, we, we want you. Come. We, no, don't just come. I will come to you. I, I will do whatever to meet you where you're. I will take care of you as much as you need me to help you. That is our mission. That is our goal. Let me close by sharing uh, an experience I had with my, my kids. <laughs> uh, I have three boys, in case you don't know, uh, 11, 10, and 4. Uh, you're... If you, if you come here, you're probably going to hear stories about my boys from time to time because they are so full of experiences. Um, although my older ones I protect. I don't, uh, I don't tell too much about them. But Lincoln's below the age of protection still, so my four-year-old. Anyhow, so uh, I don't know if you've ever lost a child, if you're a parent, but if you have then you know, I mean, it could be at the mall, it could be an amusement park, it could be a restaurant, I mean, wherever. If you've lost a child for even just a moment where you're really not sure where that child is, you, there's like, like, a, like panic, right? There's a, there's a terror that comes. This happened to me a little while back. My wife was going to the store. My wife, Missy, was going to walk to the store with, uh, with what I thought were my two boys and my other boy was going to stay home. I was downstairs in my office. I was working and so... I said, okay, that's fine. Just leave them upstairs and I'll, uh, you know, I'll go up later and, and get them. Came back up about 10 minutes later and I go yelling out my son's name and don't hear anything. 
going out, yelling out my son's name, don't hear anything. I say, okay, well, my son probably just went down the block to go play with some friends. So I go to his friend's house down the block, knock on the door. No, they're not here. Go to another door. No, they're not here. I'm, I'm draining all the friends in the neighborhood. There isn't anywhere else he can go. And by this time, I start to go, okay, I, I, yeah. like I'm starting to get scared. I'm yelling in the middle of the street like a madman. I'm yelling my son's name to no avail. And then my phone rings, and it's my wife, Missy. And I say, do you, do you have our son with you? And just as I ask that question, I see my son coming around the block, running. And you know what I felt? He had been with her the whole time. I didn't know. I felt incredible joy. And all I could say, all I could yell out instead of yelling my son's name now was, come home. He was already on his way home anyway. Come home. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ invites all, all, no matter what you walk in here with tonight, you can come home. It's all yours. It's all set. It's ready. He's given you everything you need. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that we are not judged according to our sins. We are not judged, we are not kept outside of fellowship with you because of our failures, but we are allowed in because of your grace. Oh, we don't deserve it. We are unworthy. As Paul said, we could all say at one time or another, we're the, we're the worst of sinners. But then we can celebrate all the more that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So we thank you for that. We thank you for your searching after us in our lostness. We thank you for you coming to us when we could not find our way home and bringing us back. It's in Jesus' name we pray.